0: So Luke chapter eleven, we've been in this series called "Teach Us to Pray," and uh, we uh, we've been spending a few weeks on the Lord's Prayer, which has led us into some other places as well, um, and it's been really good. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I've enjoyed it. Uh, we started actually in Acts two and one, uh, Acts one and Acts two. Uh, in Acts chapter two, there's an interesting phrase at uh, the Day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit shows up on the earth in a new way, and and uh, and it says that this suddenly a sound, right? But And we can tend to think that that's how God always works, suddenly a sound, suddenly. And how many of you guys, not only do you uh, want it to be that way, you ask for it that way, and when it doesn't happen suddenly, you get frustrated. Anybody know that? Anybody have like a sudden prayer life? (laughs) You you know, you kind of have that suddenly, come on, God, just do something suddenly, and then we, so we only do things suddenly, and then we get frustrated when things don't happen. And, uh, but the secret to Acts chapter 2 and suddenly is Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, and continually they gathered and united in prayer. And the things we want suddenly are usually preceded by the things we will do continually. And so we really believe prayer should be one of those things that we do continually so that we might see God move suddenly in our lives. Amen. And so we started there, and then we jumped into Luke chapter 11. There's two places where the Lord's Prayer is is taught, where Jesus is telling his disciples. And so we're hanging out in Luke chapter 11, uh, and and we're just spending some time talking about what it is to pray. And the, the Teach Us to Pray, the title of this series comes from... Uh, the question that the disciples asked of Jesus, they they started to make this connection as they walked with Jesus and spent three years with Jesus. This connection between what Jesus was doing publicly and what he was doing privately, they begin to realize that he was doing all these things, healing people and doing incredible, preaching amazing things and and doing all this stuff. People were gathering, people were, stuff was happening, and every time stuff would happen. In fact, there's one moment where they're a bit confused because the, all this ministry is going on, all these things are happening, and what he does is he actually says, hold on a second, I need to go pray. How many of us, when things are going well, we actually don't go pray. We actually stay doing what we're doing because we like when the shine is on us, right? We like that. And Jesus wasn't about that. Jesus was about doing whatever he had seen the Father do. And so he, he was doing this thing right. He was privately praying. And so the disciples began to connect those dots. The disciples began to connect the dots between his public ministry and his private uh, dedication and his private discipline of prayer. And so they ask him this question: Teach us to pray. Now it is the only place where the disciples specifically ask him to teach them to do something. They don't ask him to teach them how to to cast out demons. They don't ask him to teach them how to heal people. They don't ask him. They they've seen him do those things. So they ask this question, and they realize that all of those things are a result of one thing, and that is his communion with the Father. And so they simply ask this question. Don't you love that the disciples are real people who ask real questions? Right, like if we, we if we had all the ultra religious following Jesus, they would have never asked a the question. They would act like they knew how to pray because that's what we all do, right? Come on, let's pray. Yes, let's pray. Hey, Brandon, why don't you pray? Oh, well, you know, I was hoping. Okay, I'll do it. And then you just you'd hope that you figure something out and you pray. Thus saith the Lord, and you that is verily, verily, you know all that stuff. And uh, and you, you, we we know a lot more about prayer than we actually practice in prayer, right? It's one of the challenges of prayer is putting into practice what we know. And so they ask this question, hey, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus begins to give a bit of a pattern or a template for them to pray, to to guide them as they're praying. And, and what he what is interesting, I think, about this is at the beginning in Luke 11 1, they say to him, they, they see him praying. He was in a certain place praying. And you see this throughout Luke. In fact, in the chapters preceding and the chapters after, you see moments where Jesus is in private or had gone to a remote place or is he in a lonely place praying. And, and I want to encourage you in this, and I, I am doing a bit of a recap. So if you've been here these last few weeks, you'll have heard some of these things. But one of the things that's important to me is to take some of the. Um, um, the, the, the pressure off of prayer because more often than not, the objection, or at the very least, the question about prayer is, What do I pray? Have you ever asked that question before? What do I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say right now. And I, I don't know that Jesus really places the emphasis in terms of the motto he gave on what to pray, although he obviously tells us. He, he more often than not addresses the posture of prayer. And so, his, 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 the when and where are almost as important as the what. Now, obviously, I think there are things you should pray. There are, th- there are certain things you should say. Uh, even in Psalms, ha- I mean, there's a huge portion of the middle of Psalms that is lament. It's it's frustration. It's it's saying what's really on our mind. Some of you ever have told God what's on your mind and then really had to tell him what's on your mind? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, cool. Some of you are really comfortable with him. Some of you are still like, I'm not sure I want to go there. And um, and so here he is. He's going, well, when, when and where? I would encourage you in this. Don't get so caught up in the what to pray that you don't, at the very least, set a when and where to pray. I believe God is good enough that he will lead you in prayer and will walk you through this thing if you will commit the time to it. It may not happen the first day, second day, third day, but if you will set down and you will give a when and a where. Now, you pray all the time. You can pray when you're driving, you can pray in the shower, you can pray when your kids are acting up, come on, and you can pray whenever, wherever, but there should also be some date nights, right, there should also be some moments that are, it is just me and him, that's it, there is nobody else, it's just me and you, and if you would do that, I I just want to encourage you, don't get so hung up on what you're going to pray that you forget to just do the when and the where, and trust God with the what, just trust God with the what, now, All that being said, we do have some things to pray. Luke chapter 11, we're gonna jump into verse two. Jesus said, this is how you should pray father may your name be kept holy may your kingdom come soon so that first part is all about our posture towards him number one that he's our father number two that he is holy and number three it is about his kingdom and his will being done so one we have to understand it's about father it's about relationship if we if we miss that we will we will alter the reason and the purpose of the other things he says if we don't understand that it is first and primarily a father or relational prayer then we will we will kind of be begin to bend some of these things in directions that are not healthy or not productive or not fruitful. So we have to understand first and foremost, it is Father. I am praying to one who loves me, who wants the best for me, who desires identity, who desires hope, who desires purpose, who has something he's built into my life, who's created something in my heart. That is who I'm praying to first, Father. And sometimes I'll pray the Lord's Prayer, and that's where I stop stop it, Father, because I can't get past it, because I need to continue to pray into what that feels like and is like in my life. And then he says, may his name be kept holy, which means set apart. One of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest problems in in the church today is we don't like mystery. We want everything to be practical. And I believe that there is mystery built into faith. And I believe it's the embracing of the mystery. It's the embracing of the awesome and the wonder of God that drives us to continue to pursue who he is. If you feel like you can explain all of it, then you probably begin to lose the luster of it. There's a whole book I read by Paul David Tripp called Awe. And it's talking about awesome. And, and he spends 12 chapters addressing different things. And basically the whole thing is if you would just be in more, more in awe of who he is, things would begin to sort themselves out. And so there is this idea of, okay, he is a good father, but he is also a great God. And I know I've said this. Listen, it bears repeating. It's, I, I am totally okay saying to you things 12 times in a row because I know I need that, and I know between Sundays, I forget things that I've heard the last Sunday, and so God is a good father. We need to know that. He's willing. He loves you, but he's also a great God. He is able. It is possible, so hear me. He is not just willing and loves you, but unable to provide, and he is not only great enough to provide. He is both willing and able. He is a Good Father and a great God. That's why that's at the front end of your prayer life, man. God, I'm so I love you. You're in love with me. We are in relationship, and you are so able to do that, which is impossible in my life. And that sets the tone for the rest of it, right? Then he prays, "Your will be done." How, you guys notice that uh, His kingdom come before our bread gets here. We pray His kingdom come before we ask for our bread. I thought that was clever. (laughs) Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation. I think there's, you could break this into two parts, and, and many different people have done it in different ways. But the first part is, I would say, our posture towards him, getting into alignment with him, putting him where he belongs, honoring him, loving him. That's partly why we worship, is to reorient our worship, to reorient what we're aiming at, to reorient what we're focusing at. That's why you don't skip worship, because you need something that is so abstract and so outside of what you normally do to make sure you and be reminded of why you worship and who you worship. All right? And so so there's this part of prayer that's me. My, me getting in posture, putting my posture towards him. And then the next part is his posture towards us, his provision towards us, his forgiveness of us, his leading of us through difficulties in life. And then he goes on to the next thing. So that's the I'm, I'm giving you a little bit. Does that does that sum it up the last couple weeks pretty well? Yeah. We're in a good place. All right. I haven't shared any funny stories yet. I apologize. I just wanted to get the recap in. I know I'm supposed to do a funny story and then give you three points. And I hopefully we can get to all that. All right. I want to read the next part, Luke 11, verse 5. Then teaching so, them some more about prayer. Because how many of you know, if you if follow Jesus for any amount of time, you realize there's always going to be more to learn about prayer. Come on. He is always willing to teach you more about prayer. It is so important. So use this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Good time to go to a friend's house, uh, to knock on a friend's door, to see how they're doing, to show up at midnight. Uh, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. So show up at midnight to ask for bread. I mean, not something big like bread. I, and not only two loaves or one loaf, but three loaves of bread. I'm gonna show up at midnight uh, maybe I could have shown up at 11 or 10 the other night our water uh, Meredith uh, had turned all the lights off in the house and we were getting ready to go to bed. the boys were asleep and Mary goes, do you hear that leaking? Well for us that was a very scary thing because we had just fixed our shower and we, it, we we had done some other things We had a couple things in a row all while we're trying to go on vacation and so she hears this I go in the bathroom I don't hear anything but that's partly because I never hear anything because I'm partially deaf so I go, I don't hear anything And uh, she goes, no, there's something So we walk into the, the garage we had been filling up water guns we have a sink out in the garage and uh and Meredith and I like to shoot each other with water guns and and so uh, now the boys said we'd been playing earlier that day and I'm looking at the sink there's nothing there and then I look up and this is about 11:30 p.m and there's water spraying out the top of our water heater and so I'm one of these guys who is like really reliant on my friends when things break and um and so and I'm okay with that all right and uh and so I'm like on my list of people to call I call a few people, I finally wake up my brother in- law Bradley, and uh you know he builds houses, so I figure he would know what to do and uh Shane was too important to pick up, so I, he didn't pick up and um and so uh, he's like, there's Brandon again, always working at midnight, and uh he's probably gonna ask me about next steps um, and uh and so i uh um you never call me back by the way, so anyway, so Bradley so. So, so, so Bradley picks up and uh, and I'm, he's like walking me through, and I the, the water water shut off at our house is is not like really working so I had to go down to the street which I found out later when I called the city I was like hey I shut the water off I need you to come turn it back on because I can't get it back on and she goes you're not supposed to do that and I go well the water heater and all the stuff and just get over here and um and so they come and then the guy reminds me I'm not supposed to do it I'm like thank you I appreciate all of that uh next time your water heater explodes I'll make sure you don't turn off your water and um and so they turned back on. And I called Bradley, and he wa- walked me through it. I, I think I was I was pretty much there, but I just needed someone to make sure I wasn't about to blow my house up. And. Um, that, yeah, bad. And uh, and so we got it shut off. But I, I don't know about you, if you've ever had to call somebody at midnight for something you needed. Uh, you got that friend or you got those people in your life that you would show up at their house and knock on their door. And now it's easier. Now you don't have to go all the way to their house. You can just call their phone. And if you're on their, fa- on their favorites list, it will go past their do not disturb, right? And so you know if they don't pick up, you are not one of their favorites. And... Um, and so you, can, so you just call them and call them and call them and call them until they pick up. And it's kind of the picture that Jesus is setting up here. Jesus is saying, hey, if you, just suppose at midnight, one night, you needed three loaves of bread. I don't care if you really need three loaves of bread. I'm just t- it's a story. It's an illustration. It's supposed to be a bit ridiculous because he's trying to give you an idea of what prayer can and actually look like. And so he says, hey, what if you needed bread and you showed up at a friend's house and you begin to knock on their door and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I think this is critically important because he is not setting the tone for the bread you need. He is telling you prayer can be a place where you pray for the bread somebody else needs. I think it is important for us to understand. In fact, scientifically, you would find that the the most beneficial, prayer in general, has proven to be, whether you are religious or not, prayer has proven to be very healthy for your soul. I don't think that is coincidence. I think that is purposeful. I think that is something that the Bible teaches us already. But of the different types of prayer, one of the most beneficial in the top two is how you pray for other people. Praying for other people is actually healthier for your soul than for you to pray for yourself. I also do not think that is a coincidence. And so he's praying. He's not asking for bread for himself. He's asking for bread for a friend. So maybe we should work some of that into our prayers. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I cannot help you. (laughs) I don't know about you. I'd be like, you're literally talking to me right now. Get out of bed and give me some bread, man. Like, Like, I can hear you talking to me. Now, they would have been in a, a home that pr- most likely would have been one room, right? And everybody slept, it, if it wasn't in the same bed, very close to each other. If you have children, you know this feeling. My kids have fallen asleep in my bed at times. And then you have to do the, like, awkward, like, crawl over out of bed because you know they'll wake up. It just doesn't even matter, even if they're deep sleepers. If you move and then they go, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just sleeping with, you know, here. And... Um, and so you, you have to crawl out of bed and not disturb them. And so this guy's going, man, I don't. why are you coming to my house, number one, at midnight, number two, for bread, and, and number, why are you gonna wake me up? And he goes, no, I'm not coming out. I'm not bringing you the bread. And so then he goes, uh, he keeps knocking. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, remember, we're talking about prayer. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your, and this is the principle I want you to hear today. This is probably the title of the message. I'm not totally sure yet. I know that's really important to you really good Christians who take notes, okay? is Here's the principle. Because of your shameless persistence. Don't you, I love that phrase. Shameless persistence. And you know this. If you've been around children at all, they understand this phrase. They understand. In fact, you're going to look at your kids this week and look at your spouse and go, shameless persistence that's what that is and uh it, it, you know that or you've got friends who are really good at shameless persistence I want to go eat here yeah but they want to go eat, and they won't stop until we all go where they want to go to eat anybody know what I'm talking about shameless persistence you also see this just in general in in culture things change over time because of people who are shamelessly persistent right And like a three-year-old, there are many of us who will, we will change our body shape. We will scream as loud as we need to. It does not matter where we are. I have no shame about letting my parents know what I want right now, right? No shame. It doesn't matter if I end up on the floor. It doesn't matter if I'm screaming. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be persistent, and not only am I going to be persistent, I'm not going to be politely persistent. I'm going to be shamelessly persistent. Be shameless persistence. That is what brings about results. And so I tell you keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. That's a big promise. That's a big, big promise promise. And next week, we're going to talk. Pastor Mayor is going to be up here with me, and we're going to chat through a few of these things and talk about uh, this idea of when we feel like we've done that and things haven't happened. Anyone ever been there? We're not just going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a few different things, but Pastor Mayor is going to be up here, so I'm going to really enjoy that. It's going to be a blast. But shameless persistence. In fact, some of you guys' translations, I wanted to read some other translations because I love them all. Persistence and boldness. This comes from the Amplified Translation. Some of you have shameless audacity. How many of you have ever put these words in your prayer life? How many of you would describe your prayer life as shameless, shamelessly audacious, shamelessly persistent? You just don't give up, you just don't give in, and you just don't care who hears you. Another one was brashness. Another one was chutzpah, and I just really wanted to say that, so I threw that in there. Another one was shamelessness. How many of you would describe your prayer life as that? Shamelessly persistent. the, The Lord's Prayer, sometimes we treat it real politely. We, we treat it as a nice, cool thing, and I don't think you have to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. I, I, I think it is meant to be a guide, a framework for you to continue in prayer. I think you can pray it word for word, but, um, but even doing that, you're not even sure which translation you're supposed to use, right? Like, it isn't a word for word thing. It is an idea for idea thing. It is a principle for principle thing. You should be praying these things regularly and consistently in your life. But then he moves past that and says, okay, but don't ever give up. Be shamelessly persistent in prayer. I don't know about you, but some of, you, some of us probably have some things we have forgotten to pray for in a while. Maybe some of us prayed for it for a couple weeks, kind of like working out, right? We did it for a couple weeks, felt good about it, and then we stopped. Maybe there's some things in our life that, that God has been waiting for us to pick back up again and keep praying about. These two words shameless and persistent made me think of a couple different verses. So I want to read these to you. I think they're I think they're important and I think they speak to something really deep about this because I think shameless persistence. I wonder if you approach prayer shamelessly. I wonder if you walk into prayer with, with, with no shame, with no guilt, with no baggage, with, with no stuff. I wonder if you walk into prayer realizing what Jesus has already done. Hebrews 4 describes it like this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. So let us come boldly. Everybody say boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Other translations, yes, I love other translations. I think it's awesome. It gives you a great picture of what's actually trying to be said. With confidence and without fear, come freely and boldly. So let us step boldly into the throne. Message says it this way. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Shameless. You don't care how you look at midnight asking for three loaves of bread. You don't care that your parents are having to deal with the weird, awkward social stigma of the fact that my kid is screaming right now. You just don't care. You don't care how your body's shaped. You don't care how loud you're getting. You're going to let me know you need something, and Jesus is okay with that. Now, at some point, he's going to continue to shape your character and to develop your language and work with you on how you speak and how you talk, and you don't actually have to yell every time. You can't just ask me. But it is okay if you lean into this thing, especially something that you need to be shameless about, especially something you need to be persistent about, and continue to press in and continue to lean in. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, says it like this. Prayer is not a passive, calm, or quiet practice. Prayer is not a, uh, prayer is not a passive, calm or quiet practice. The next word is this: persistence. I'm going to be shameless. I'm going to be free. I'm not going to carry some of these things into prayer. I've already laid those down before the Lord. I've already confessed. I've already repented. And again, I can't hammer this home enough. Repentance is not a reminder of all the bad things you've done. Repentance is a willingness to give them all to God, to get back into alignment with who he is, to go back home so you can, that is the prodigal son. That it's The prodigal son is not a story of all the things he did wrong. Prodigal son is that even though he did all those things wrong, he could still come back home and still be a son. That is the point of repentance. That's why I do it every day, because it reminds me how good God is to me. It reminds me of his grace towards me, and it reminds me that I can get back into alignment with him and continue walking down this thing. Persistence, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest, fervent, heartfelt, persistent, continual prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How many of us have prayed a prayer and moved on? How many of us have prayed for a friend to get healed and then we move on to the next thing? How many of us have gotten busy with other things and we've lost what we were meant to be praying for? And then we settle into the idea that it is what it is. One of the greatest issues with prayer is our fatalism about it. We just believe what happens will happen. As though God gave us prayer as more of an exercise than an actual effectual thing. As though God said, hey, you should pray, but I'm not listening. Hey, you should pray, and I hear you, but nothing you say matters. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That is not the picture. And I, heard, you know, I know theologians explain this away sometimes. Uh, I, there's even a part where it says Jesus, God changed his mind because Moses prayed. Prayer is effective with God, prayer matters. I mean, what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah if, if Abraham doesn't continue to pray? Hey, no, 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 if it's 10, if it's. Prayer matters prayer makes a difference. Prayer not only moves the heart of God, but also with it moves the hand of God. He gave you prayer to do something. He gave you prayer to walk in something and to be persistent and to not give up and to continue to pray. I, there's three things, and Philip Yancey writes these in his book on prayer. I think it's brilliant. I love Philip Yancey. I think he's a great author. Um, the reason I bring these up is because, uh, because I know that 30 minutes here is not going to answer every single thing you ask about prayer. So I hope I'm stirring you up to go grab something, buy something, listen to something. But he says this about prayer. There's three reasons. I'm going to give you three. One is skepticism. I would have said it just now as fatalism. We don't think it actually makes a difference. Phil says, in much of the world, modern skepticism taints prayer. We breathe in an atmosphere of doubt. We breathe in an atmosphere of doubt, of second-guessing, of pessimism, of going, I don't think his intentions are good. I don't think, and we do that to each other as well. We breathe in this atmosphere of doubt. We don't believe enough in people. We sure as heck don't believe enough in God. God is what it is. It will be what it needs to be. Blaise Pascal says this, and uh, he's a... theologian, brilliant man, says, God instituted prayer to confer on creatures the dignity of causality. I'll read that again because he uses some big words there. God instituted prayer to confer on creatures the dignity of causality. The second one is prosperity or self-sufficiency. Philip Yancey says, prosperity may dilute prayer too. In my travels, I have noticed that Christians in developing countries spend less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. The wealthy rely on talent and resources to solve immediate problems and insurance policies and retirement plans to secure the future. We can hardly pray with sincerity, give us this day our daily bread when our pantry is stocked with a month's supply of provisions. We get lulled into this sense of, oh, we're good. We have got it. Everything's, as though God's greatest desire for us, God's greatest desire for us is to have stuff. As though that's, that's the, and, and you've reached the pinnacle. That you and I have reached, oh, we are as good as we'll ever be. Now prayer is meant to be a place where everything God has for us, everything God desires for us, continues to be birthed in our hearts and shaped in our minds. And the third one is this, busyness. We are time poor. Time pressures a cry, a crowd out the leisurely pace that prayer seems to require communication with other people keeps getting shorter and more cryptic text messages email instant messaging we have less and less time for conversation let alone contemplation where does god fit into a life that already seems behind schedule where does god fit into a life that already seems behind schedule all of these are built around all three of those are built around this idea of of losing Our posture towards Him, of losing this, He is our Father, He is great and holy, and He can do what only He can do. That He is greater than anything I could accomplish on my own. And even the things I do that are good, there is an extra measure and a new thing. It's the same story we just heard from Jamie. I gave bread and I gave this stuff, and all those things were great. Usually, those are a doorway to newer and deeper things. And she said, it wasn't until I realized that there was more to give, there was actually something else I could put on the table. There was more. This was just a tool to get into a place where I could pray over people, look people in the eye, and I can be shamelessly persistent in praying for bread on their behalf. I can show up at God's door at midnight and pray. And remember, Jesus is the one teaching you to wake up God at midnight. Jesus is the one telling you it is okay to go to the door at midnight and ask for randomly three loaves of bread. He's fine with that. Now, for some of you who think, well, oh, does that mean God is the angry friend in the house who won't get up? Because that can be confusing. I'm sure many of us have read that and gone, okay, I don't understand where God fits in this picture. Well, here, let's read the rest of it because I think it'll come into to clear view. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. It says, if you, you fathers... If your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? No. It's a rhetorical question. If some of you are thinking about that, or if they ask for an egg, which I guess was in high demand, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Here's the difference. Okay. Here's where it all happens. This is a, this is actually a word you can you can read this phrase into many of the things that you read in scripture. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, here it is. Are you ready? You can apply this across scripture. How much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He wasn't telling you the story about the house so that you could think that God is this frustrated, mad person laying in bed and you're waking him up and he's ticked off about it. He's saying, hey, if this friend who didn't want to get up will eventually get up, how much more... Will the God who loves you, created you is a good father and a great God, how much more when you are shamelessly persistent with me because I love you and you should have no shame because I'm a great God so you should be persistent in what you're asking for. How much more will I do that in your life? How much more will I show up and give you the Holy Spirit? How much more in those places? If you, sinful, messed up fathers, will give good gifts to your children, how much more than the perfect creator of the universe who is, again, your father? How much more will he do that for you? It's a comparison game. I know we tell you not to compare all the time. The only thing you compare things to is to him. He is the ideal. He is the standard for what love, love looks like, for what hope looks like, for what joy looks like, and we all have one. In a culture that tells us to remove the standards, we all have them. We all have them for how we want our food prepared. We all have them for how we want our house to look. We all have them for how we want our neighbors' yards to look. We all have standards. We all have them. And we, when we try to remove them rather than refine them, we end up in a chaotic world where we don't understand who we're meant to be anymore. Like my grandfather used to say, you don't draw lines on a highway to resist or to hold people down. You draw lines on the highway so people don't kill themselves. You give people a framework. Jesus is giving you a framework. You can pray these things. You can pray for daily bread. You can pray for forgiveness. Oh, and you can pray that you would forgive others because how many of you know you need prayer to forgive that person? You can pray, God, you're a good God. You can pray, God, you are my Father and I pray your kingdom come. And then guess what? You can keep praying it until it happens. You can be shamelessly. You don't have to walk in going, God, I'm sorry I'm about to ask this. God, I'm sorry I'm about to put this in front of you. Lord, I apologize that I would be a, a childlike faith. I'm, I apologize that I would even come to you and put this thing before you. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad about it. And he's going, will you just get off the, you can be that with me. I'm shameless about my father God. And I'm persistent, I, man. Some of us have forgotten some things, and we've set them down, and we've forgotten to pick them back up. And God is going, "Could you please? You prayed for it for like two days. Can you just pick it up again?" How many you've heard stories of family members praying for a family member for years and, years and years and years and years, and one day it happens, and it's like, oh my goodness, what things have we given up on that God is just waiting to answer if we would stay in communion with Him? Do we trust him enough in his timing? Do we trust him enough in his places of wisdom and understanding? Do we trust him, like Meredith said, outside of time to understand what's down the line? Do we trust him? Are we getting so uh, consumed with our own desires that we forget that other people need bread too? Have we gotten so consumed with ourselves that we forget that God is shaping and moving not just us, but all of creation into a place of restoration? That our prayers are meant to be a place where we where we come into alignment and unity with him. How much more, if we could give good gifts to one another, how much more could the one who's unlimited and able and a good father and who loves you as your creator, how much more? Maybe if we walked into prayer with that, maybe if we walked into prayer with how much more can you do, God? How much more can you do in my marriage? How much more can you do in my relationships? How much more can you do in my business? How much more could you do with my art? How much more could you do with my kids? How much more could you do with my finances? How much more could you do with my mind? How much more could you do in my heart? How much more could you do? How much more? What if we weren't a place where people walked in with skepticism and just were able to stay there? What if people walked in, I'm cool. I want skeptics in the room. They make me sharper, they make me better. But what if what if we were a church that had a sound of faith to it? What if we didn't have people walking in who were self-sufficient? And we acted as a church like we were all good. The problem with acting religious is you act like you have got it all together, and then you give people the impression that they can't come in with stuff. What if we were a church that realized we don't have it all together? That's why this is amazing. He still loves me, still wants to use me, still wants to use C3 Fort Worth with all its mess, with all its good stuff, and he's going to use it to change a city. And what if, what if people who have a busy week, who have a crazy week, who are always thinking of the next thing and always, they just came into a place where they can stop? Because when you stop and when you rest, you know what you're saying? I trust you, God. I trust you. I'm not going to work this thing out. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to set myself before you.